I was just looking at the bulletin there, noting that Tim and Jan McCartney, McCartney uh, were celebrating an anniversary today with flowers, but she's in the hospital today. So, I'm, in life, unpredictable. We never know, no matter what we plan or prepare for, what we're going to encounter. So we have to stay humble. We have to stay prayerful. We have to stay trustful as well. You know, uh, I, last Sunday we took a little time and just ask you to share expressions of praise. And uh, many of you did, and I'm very grateful. I was very grateful for that and thought it was a, a wonderful. I cannot tell you how many people this week came up to me somehow or other in some situation and said, you know, last Sunday when you had us share, I had something that I thought about sharing. I had something I wanted to share, but I couldn't do it or I didn't say anything, but I want to tell you what it is. So that reinforced in my mind, we all have, whether we'll say it or not, whether we're willing to stand up and say it or not, so many blessings and so many things that we're thankful for. It's not always just those who talk, but those who think and observe and live life who have many wonders for which they praise the Lord. <clears throat> we are looking at Genesis 6 and 7 and 8 and 9, 10. The story of Noah and the flood will be here for a number of weeks in this very interesting uh, situation of our history, our planet's history, and our human history since Noah and his three sons are the foundation of all of our lives I don't know whether I'll get to bring this out or not, but in reading just this week, I discovered something that did not surprise me at all, but uh, I'd never really read it before, and that is in human genetics and the study combining, the, the field of study trying to combine the, the genetics and the history of not only families, but of humankind. The discovery that has come to the discovery that human beings did not come out of Africa, by the way. <clears throat> which I never thought they did, but um, that the, there was a great surge of human population, um, genetically speaking, from three different distinct areas in the Middle East. At near the same time, there was a flowering, a surge uh, of DNA explosion, I'll say, in three different areas. And, I, and I, as soon as I read it, I thought, uh, this was mitochondrial DNA, which is only carried through the mother. And as soon as I read it, I thought, well, that's what Noah's son's three wives were there for. That's why and how the human race was propagated from three sites. When you read Genesis chapter 10, it's called the Table of Nations. And it talks about the dispersal of Noah's three sons and their families through the earth and the history of the different um, people groups, languages that came forth from those three sites. And now, in 2023, to have the field of genetics tracing back and discovering that, lo and behold, there's three different explosions, three different places, three different uh, sources of a great deal of our modern DNA is, uh, is just a, a amazing confirmation to me of, of the Scripture. But we talked last week in chapter 6 about the fact that it says Noah found favor in the eyes of God, and we talked about <clears throat> how it is that we can show favor to each other, and today we actually come to 
in chapter 7, the story of the flood itself. It's a long story, and I'm going to read a good portion of it. <clears throat> just so that we can think of through the details of it for a little bit. I heard about it. these two guys who met on, the, in, on a cruise ship in the Caribbean or somewhere. And uh, they were businessmen and they got to talking. And the one said, well, the reason that I'm here was my, the building where my business was housed burned down. And uh, I got a tremendous insurance payment out of, out of it for that building. And so that's funding this vacation. And uh, the other dude said to him, that's kind of amazing because uh, I, in my, the business, the, the building that my business was in, uh, got flooded, and there was a tremendous flood in our town, and, and my building got ruined, and I got insurance payment, and that's what funded this vacation for me. And the first dude, after a moment, said, how do you start a flood? <clears throat> it was a joke. Well, nobody has to tell God how to start a flood. The Lord knows how to start a flood. <clears throat> Chapter 6 of Genesis, verse 11. The earth was corrupt in God's sight, full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become. God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. Make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it, or stalls, or individual compartments is the meaning of this term. Coat it inside with pitch, inside and out. The ark is to be 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high. Make a roof for it. Finish it within 18 inches of the top. I'm kind of trying to read fast because I want to read this whole chapter. <clears throat> I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has the breath of life in it, everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you. And you enter the ark, you and your sons and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind, and by the way, uh, as much research and many of you I know have been in the, down into Kentucky to, to visit the Ark replica there or have, have read many uh, stories or, or many uh, studies uh, such as Institute for Creation Research and so forth to point out the fact that um, the way this is worded in the book of Genesis does not mean that Noah had necessarily to have two of every single kind of animal that we know of on the earth today or that lived at that time. But the word kind, of course, is a, a, a technical term that means uh, a, certain, a certain species of animal from which other animals could then reproduce and, and, and change in the limits of that uh, uh, evolution within that species so that, for example, as the famous, I guess, uh, analogy would be from a, a wolf type of, a, of, a, of an animal may come a dog or a fox or other related things. And so um, it would not necessarily have to be every species of animals, every, every 
type and color and, ge and genetic difference of animals that we know of today. It could have been a much fewer, more basic uh, collection of those animals because that's what the word kind means. I just wanted to point that out. Um, you are to bring them into the ark and take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store away as food for you and food for them. Well, that must have been quite a task. Noah did everything just as God commanded. And the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. Take with you seven of every kind of clean animal, a male and its mate, and two of every kind of unclean animal, a male of its mate, and seven kinds of every kind of bird, male and female, to keep their various kinds alive throughout the earth. Seven days from now, I will send rain on the earth. I will wipe from the face of the earth every living creature I have made. I used to think, when I read this, that the sea creatures were left undisturbed. I used to just assume that, that God's anger extended to the life and the planet above the surface. And since it was water and these animals were already in the water, they were not bothered by the rage of God outpoured in the flood um, until I did more reading and study and research and also thought to myself, well, if the animals are included in the wrath of God above ground, it seems that it would be no different for those who are in the oceans. And indeed, um, um, the, the records of the, paleo, the paleological record, the records of the, of the stones and the layers of sediment within our, across our earth not only reflect a flood, but have huge deposits of marine life. Um, there are, there are uh, I've, I've read about there, uh, uh, layers of shale-type rock that have had so many fish in them that the rock will burn with fish oil, like it's oil that has been decomposed from those fishes or has, has been leached out of those fish into the rock layer. So it does seem like that the turbulence of this flood not only affected the land animals and the animals in the air, but also those even in the oceans. Some of them survived, but many of them, many of the, the, of the species of animals in the ocean also perished as they did above ground and in the air. <clears throat> They're not mentioned here, but I'm simply saying I believe that they were included in the totality of the outpouring and the upheaval of the planet that this act represented. By the way, if you use the, the, the chronology of Genesis, if you go to, the, to chapter 1, or actually chapter 5, where it tells about the ages that the men of the family lived before they had children, and you do a calculation, you will come to the... Uh, you will come to the conclusion chronologically there in Genesis 5 that the flood would have happened around 1,600 years uh, after Adam, after the creation of the world, that it would have been roughly 1,600 years to the time of this. Now, a lot can happen in 1,600 years, and the human population spread. The human population became incredibly wicked, as we talked about last week. And so this is why God... Um, decided that they needed to be not simply taught a lesson. He wanted to start over. As he said, I'm tempted, I'm almost ready to completely reject this experiment and just annihilate them all. But he just couldn't do it to Moses, or to Noah. When he came to Noah, he said, I cannot 
I cannot have anything but grace on this man. And so, therefore, as we talked about last week, he used him to save the human race. But this was a long time ago. If, if the chronology of the Bible is used, if that's the, the reference, and there's, there's so, many, uh, so many ways to look at the, the dating of historical materials, um, best thing I can encourage you to do is to read and to realize that the Bible's record is accurate. We believe this and for, for a number of reasons. But if we go with the chronology of the Bible, this flood would have been about six, eight hundred years prior to Abraham. So it's a long time ago. <clears throat> and, uh, and during these hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years, the deposits from that flood, that great flood, the biomass that's ripped off of the earth and scoured and, and buried under tons and tons of sediment, such as um, trees and grass and probably just huge hunks of surface of the land that were tossed into the water and become waterlogged and sank and so forth. These have become, through heat and pressure and time, what today are uh, what we call fossil fuels of coal and oil and all these kind of things. These deposits that are underneath the ground are not being created today. There's no new oil being made today. This stuff was created uh, from um, organic material many, many, many centuries ago and is available for us today, but it's not being made new today. And incidentally, I've read, and it's there, their accounts are there for you to read if you want to research this, many instances in not only this country, but in other countries and other parts of the world, uh, the, uh, the formations of coal underneath the ground are massive and widespread. Every continent has coal. Um, practically, coal is ubiquitous around the world, which coal would be formed from many of the, from the much of the uh, biomass, the, the organic material that was inundated and buried in uh, vast deposits of sea creatures and everything else in the flood. This, the world was, the, the, the geology of the world was just cre- it was sent into an upheaval. Um, but I have read a number of instances of finding within seams of coal petrified uh, objects made by man, uh, ancient, ancient pieces of furniture or of, uh, of objects that were obviously created and made by man, as well as other, uh, other objects which had been above ground at one time, mixed with the layer of coal, which simply leaves no other option but to realize that whenever this stuff was buried, it was buried all at once in the same layer with each other. And this is the picture of the upheaval that it gives us of that event. Let me read more. Noah was 600, I'm I'm in chapter 7, verse 6. Noah was 600 years old when the floodwaters came on the earth. And Noah and his sons and wives and wives' sons, sons' wives entered the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Pairs of clean and unclean animals, of birds and all creatures that move along the ground, male and female, came to Noah, entered the ark as God had commanded Noah. And after the seven days, the floodwaters came on the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, on the 17th day of the second month, on that day, here we go, 
All the springs of the great deep burst forth, and the floodgates of the heaven were opened, and rain fell on the earth forty days and forty nights. It was not, as we are having this morning, a gentle rain for forty days. This says all the springs of the deep burst open. What that means is uh, possibly volcanic type action. Uh, the plates, the tectonic plates of the earth's surface shifting and moving and releasing all sorts of water. And the land and the ocean just simply intermingled and intermixed along with the deluge from the sky for 40 solid, unending, unrelenting days and nights. We, we would be drowned here as well. There's nobody who wouldn't be able to be drowned. Now, um, a lot of people, a lot of scholars feel when this talks about the mountains and the waters rising above the mountains, that the mountains were actually not there prior to the flood. I don't know enough about it. I'm not an expert enough, but uh, I do know that both um, creationist geologists as well as atheistic uh, evolutionary oriented geologists often date the mountains and the formation of the mountains as much younger than the earth. Whether, uh, you know, you're a, whether you're a person who believes that the earth came out of uh, an accidental formation of gases or whatever four and a half billion years ago, or whether you believe God created the earth in, 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 in recent years as the Bible seems to indicate. Most people that understand anything about the rock layers and anything about the, um, the geology of the earth will say that the mountains were not formed at the same time that the planet itself was formed. So it's very possible, and many, many scholars feel this way, that it was the upheaval of the flood itself that created the mountains because the rocks were pliable and soft, the sea water was churned up, and, and things were moving and shaking. And so, um, I mean, we still got the mountains, but perhaps the mountains weren't really here before the flood and it was the flood itself. I mean, we all know, we all see these amazing formations out of Sidling Hill and places like this where it's just crazy to see how much the rocks layers were bent. They couldn't have done it when they were hard. They had to be, uh, it had, they had, there had to be a lot of action going on and a lot of heat and so forth at that time. What, whatever, I mean, if, but it says the great springs of the deep, does that mean volcanoes, geologic activity as well? as the water mixing with the thermal. I, I, that's my guess. There's a lot going on. <clears throat> and this went on, it says, for 40 days and 40 nights. On that very day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, together with his wife and the wives of his sons, entered the ark. They had had with them every wild animal according to its kind, all livestock according to their kind, every creature. By the way, I'll just stop here and say, this idea that mankind was a hunter and gatherer for, um, you know, centuries while it's trying to develop into a full human being or whatever is nonsense. It is absolute nonsense. From the beginning, from Adam and Eve onward, mankind had domesticated animals at his disposal. Adam and Eve farmed. They, 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 um, they took care of the garden. But they also farmed. They also used animals in a domesticated way. It's there from the beginning. And so this differentiates between animals that just came in out of the woods and the, and the rivers and also 
domesticated type of animals. It mentions both of them because even in this primeval time before recorded history, that was how it was. This was how life was. Um, <clears throat> mankind never, in any period of his history, is trying to figure out was he an animal, is an ape, or was he a human, was he different? From the, from the moment of creation, the first human and the man and woman were made in the image of God. And they knew and understood their role. They were plainly told that role as, as to be a co-regent and in, in a, a co, uh, co-captain of, over nature and over creation. And they willingly entered into that role. <clears throat> um, verse 17, for 40 days the floods kept coming on the earth. As the waters increased, they lifted the ark high above the earth. The ark is not a boat in a traditional sense that it's got a helm, as I understand it. There's no helm and there's no steering wheel. It's just a box that floats. Uh, it's created in a way, I mean, it's pretty long and narrow, it seems like to me, uh, in the proportions that I've seen pictured. But uh, apparently from models that have been created and put in to uh, test chambers and so forth, very Floatworthy, very seaworthy. We don't know the exact details of what it looks like. We just know the dimensions. But the point of the ark was not, uh, you know, to navigate to any certain place. The point of the ark was just to stay up above the waters. Uh, the word ark implies safety. It's not a, a destination. It's not something you're taking to a destination. That would be a ship or a boat. An ark is just a raft that's enclosed to hold you and keep you from, from drowning. That's what an ark is. So this was just a big box. And it wasn't pretty, I feel sure. But, you know, uh, when... I know, again, many of you have been down and seen the one there in, uh, that Ken Ham has put there, there in Kentucky. When you think of... Uh, a human being and his family creating such a massive project. Uh, many people say, well, that's impossible. We don't even believe in the flood because there's no way that a man and his family could have built this boat. And I, I've often thought to myself, you know, we give ourselves way too much credit. We think we're much smarter than ancient man. They were ignorant back then. They, you know, they didn't have electricity. They didn't know. They didn't have all this stuff. <clears throat> they were smarter than we are. Because, like everything else, the scientific law of entropy, of the, uh, the, the continual degradation of everything, going from ordered to becoming more disordered, applies to humanity, to our intelligence, to our DNA, and everything else. So Adam and Eve and the, and the people back there when they lived all those long years, they had a lot more intelligence than what we have. I believe that. We have accumulated knowledge. And we've developed that in technology. So we can do fantastic things that Adam and Eve and Noah and his family couldn't do. But they knew things and understood things far better than we do. Um, and we look back today at things simply like the pyramids and Stonehenges and the, uh, the, the situations, the, the, the buildings in S South America that are just phenomenal that we don't know how they did it. But they did it, so they had to be smart. They had to be able to put together ideas and make them happen. And so this boat, this ark, had a purpose of simply securing and holding this family. For 40 days, it says the Lord shut them in. And so this was something God was keeping tabs on and keeping his hand on, and he was involved. Verse 17, 
For 40 days the flood kept coming on the earth. The waters increased. They lifted the ark high above the earth. The waters rose and increased greatly on the earth. And the ark floated on the surface of the water. They rose greatly on the earth. And all the high mountains under the entire heaven were covered. One of the great debates of history, of, of Noah's flood and of historians, is, is this a localized flood? Was this just there in the Mediterranean region? Was this just, you know, in the, in the area of the, uh, the, what's called Mesopotamia between the Tigris and Euphrates rivers? Was this a localized thing that was massive? Or was this literally around the world as this seems to imply? when it says all the mountains under heaven were covered. Um, <clears throat> I believe that the Bible is teaching that it was worldwide, that it was all the mountains under the heaven, under God's sky. And there are many excellent works and studies. If you care to pursue this, or if you want to think through this more, um, there's no end to the fascination, and there's no end to the studies. But there's a lot of evidence that... Uh, that this is a worldwide phenomenon and that the cataclysm of the great flood worldwide was what created the geology of our world today and explains the facts, for example, that marine life is found in the very hot top of the Himalayan mountains everywhere uh, in, in many, many layers of rocks and sediment and so forth. All the high mountains under the entire heaven were covered. The waters rose, covered the mountains to a depth of more than 20 feet. Every living thing that moved on the earth perished. Birds, livestock, wild animals, all the creatures that swarm over the earth, rescue the perishing. No, no rescue that day except in the ark of Noah. Everything on dry land that had the breath of life in its nostrils died. Everything living on the face of the earth was wiped out. Men and women, I'm sorry, men and animals and creatures that move along the ground and birds of the air. It doesn't mention the fish. It doesn't mention the marine life in the sea. But when it says every living creature on the earth, I assume that it is also including those things. And, and not every, every, uh, every one under the sea perished because some obviously survived to become seed for the future. <clears throat> but many of them were ground up and spit out and were part of the de debris, part of the sediment, and, their, and their, um, their shells and their oil and everything else were part of the massive settlement from that flood. <clears throat> You've all seen pictures of floods. You've all perhaps been close up or involved in the, the, in the reality of the phenomenon of erosion and of turbulence of floods. I mean, floods, floods don't take no for an answer. And none of us have ever seen or even been close to a flood where it rained for 40 days and 40 nights and all the springs of the earth busted loose and the geology was being shifted and, and landslides and everything uh, imaginable were... I mean, this is, this is a horror movie. This is the judgment of God unleashed. None of us have ever seen anything like that in spite of the fact I mentioned this in my sermon notes that we hear sometimes oh this is go this is a flood of biblical proportion no it's not it's not even close because we've never had another flood like that because God promised that it never we never would but that's what's going on here more than 20 feet above the mountains so uh, is this water and everything died and it says here only Noah was left and those with him in the ark and the water flooded the earth 
for 150 days. Let me just... Um, can you see that? Okay. Um, let me just briefly go through these PowerPoints. I realize my time's running out. <clears throat> I just want to... I, I want to just call your note, call a note to this. That... Those who are skeptical about this whole event, about the, the history, about the man, Noah, that is plainly laid out in Genesis 6 through 9, also must then be skeptical of Jesus and the apostles and other people in our Bible, which we say we believe was inspired by God to be written and preserved. They have to be also skeptical of these other people who were absolutely convinced, who were much closer to the source and were much closer to the event, and who believed and wrote uh, statements about Noah and the flood and the ark. Uh, and so I'm just simply saying, look, it's not just a matter of saying, yeah, well, it was so long ago, nobody really knows what actually happened back there. If you reject that, you have to also deal with the fact that Jesus himself referred to it. Jesus believed in the historical reality and the historicity of the flood and of Noah. And so I just want to point that out to you. I also want to say this. <clears throat> Nobody has all the answers. This was so long ago and this was such a crazy thing that happened in such a wild and bizarre, uh, unusual and such a, a, a altering, a, a future altering event. That for those who believe the Scripture, and for those who do not believe the Scripture and deny everything in the Scripture, there are still mysteries. In other words, if, you, if, if you're an atheist and you, and you say this is all a bunch of hogwash and none of this happened and so forth, you still have as many mysteries to answer as the person who believes the Bible has mysteries to answer. And so... Um, I just want to say, though, that according to the fact, the, because of the fact that it is presented so many times in different angles from within the Bible, I, th I would have to say, this is my statement with a little asterisk, it is impossible to believe that God inspired the Scripture and to deny the flood. Because the, the reality of the flood is plainly taught and described in the Scripture. So, if you deny the, if, if a person, I say you, if a person denies the, the, the flood and the his, historical accurateness of the flood or the reality of the flood, they cannot believe in the inspiration of the Bible, no matter what they might say, because the two are one and the same. It is the Bible that tells us about the flood. The purpose, we talked about this last week. The spiritual corruption that had built up on earth where it says, you know, there wasn't even a reprieve. Every imagination of their heart was evil. And so they just went from one wicked deed into another wicked deed. They went from, uh, you know, from, uh, from a theft to a murder to an adultery. I mean, it was, just, it was just a parade of evil. And so the Lord said, there's only one way for me to deal with this, and that is... To, in this case, to get rid of the sinners because I can't stand the sin. How thankful we are that eventually there was a different way of dealing with it. Um, 
I'm not going to read on into chapter 8, but basically, as I think I put there in your sermon notes, it describes five months of water coming down, five months of water backing off through, through the natural processes of the earth, but also wind. It says God sent a wind, and we don't have any idea how much water vapor was vaporized and dried by that wind. Five months of wind can probably dry up a lot of water. But there was a five-month buildup, a five-month deflation, and then there was about two months that they sat there waiting for the saturation of the ground to go away so that they could actually start over again. What was in the ark, the provision was, just seed stalk, uh, that it could be started all over again. The promise that God gave to them, and we're going to come back to this another week, and the promise was that when sin had to be dealt with in the future, it would never again be dealt with in this way. Rather than getting rid of the sinners, God was going to actually deal with the, with the reality of sin. And that's, of course, our joy and our benefit and our, and our, uh, our blessing in the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Several things, theologically, that the, that the flood shows us or teaches us. That is, number one, there's nothing God did that He cannot undo. There's nothing He made that He cannot obliterate. If He chooses and He wants, He will. Because God has power and freedom over all of His creation. If He, if he, did not, if he decides to send a flood, then a flood's going to be sent. Secondly, uh, this just shows that eventually, if you defy and defy and rebel against God, He will have the last word. Number three, I, I'm always amazed. We sing about amazing grace and, and, and so forth. I'm amazed to think none of us would have probably been able to write the script for this flood. None of us here, if we said, okay, if I'm trying to suggest to God, if I'm an advisor to God, I'm trying to suggest to Him, what should He do with all this wickedness? I probably would never have thought of a flood to wipe everybody out, but then save one person in a boat. And by the way, uh, yeah, I, I'm going to do this real, real quick and just say this. The Bible is not the only ancient document that has a record or a, uh, a story of a great flood. There are many. And by many, I don't mean dozens. I mean hundreds. There are hundreds of ancient documents in cultures around the world, that also is a, a, a plus on the side of this being a worldwide phenomenon. We're all familiar with some of these Mediterranean or uh, Mesopotamian flood documents, ancient, ancient documents, um, such as came from the Sumerian people, uh, where uh, this is on a clay tablet in cuneiform language, ancient writing. A guy named Ziasudra, who was in, in a deluge with a great boat and was able to be saved in the flood. The Akkadian version of that same thing. It has many of the same details as the Bible's story about Noah. This one, you've all heard of the Epic of Gilgamesh or the Enuma Elish that says, when from above came the rains and tells this amazing story that has many, many parallels. In fact, it says that this guy whose name was Utnapishtim, um, he was the guy on the boat, he released not only, uh, it says he released a, a raven, like Noah, the, the Bible says Noah did, he released a dove, it also says he released a swallow. But pretty amazing that out of 
Three birds, it says, this man released to check out the conditions. Two of them are exactly the same. Um, this is not just in that part of the world. These legends or stories, ancient descriptions of something that happened that seem to be deep in the cultural memory of people comes from around the world. You can research this. I'm not in any way making this up. I'm not embellishing it. I'm not exaggerating it. In Hawaii, there is a story of a guy named Nu'u, N-U-U. Look it up. How he made a, how, how the, the, the place was wicked. And Nu'u made a, built a giant canoe and put a house on it. And he put a bunch of animals in the house. I mean, the, the elements of the story, uh, India, in China, the Cree Indians of Canada, the Cherokee Indians of America, all over the world, there are flood stories of, of ancient origin that often have many elements in common with the story that we read in Genesis about Noah. I'm simply saying, as many people have said, something happened back there. And the details that seem to be ingrained in some of the most ancient stories that have been preserved in historical records of people around the world are astoundingly similar. That's what I'm saying. Oh, I don't know whether you've ever read the Koran. I just wanted to throw this in real quickly. It talks about Noah. Of course, Koran was not an early document. Mohammed lived 600 years after Jesus. So this was not anything of ancient origin. But it's interesting. He talks a lot about Noah and the ark in the Koran. And Mohammed said that Noah had a fourth son. The Bible, of course, says he has three. Now, I want to just I want to point this out simply to say this. What what the Quran says is that son number four refused to come on the ark, and that Noah implored him it says to come on the ark, and he refused to come on the ark, and that he perished with the rest of the population. I don't know if Noah had four sons. The Bible says he had three. I'm happy with that, and I believe that. But I am. But I did want to say this: if he had had a fourth son, and I have no idea where Muhammad would have made up or got this information from. If he had a fourth son and he refused to come on the ark, I guarantee you he did perish. Just like the Quran says that he did. Because it says here, everybody perished. And if Noah had a rebellious son, he perished also. Interesting. Life lesson. That, I, I, I just want to close by comparing our culture to a flood. You know, the Bible actually does that. In in, uh, in in Ephesians, it, it, I'm sorry, First Peter, I, I didn't, couldn't think that was right. In First Peter 4, he says, the, the people who live wicked lives look at you and think it's pretty strange that you don't swim in the same flood of evil and destructive practices that they do. That you don't plunge into that same flood. In other words, this is a term of, of the Bible, a New Testament term, that the corruption and evil of, the, of, the, of our generation, of our culture, is like a flood. And I'm simply saying, as a lesson, as a life lesson, we look at this story and we say, we can't survive swimming in that flood any more than those ancient people could survive swimming in that flood of their day, of, of water. We cannot survive swimming in our culture just on our own. 
Our hope is that we have to come into the ark of Jesus Christ. That's the only way we can be rescued from sin. Just as surely as the only way that those people could be rescued is. Um, but this is the hope and the offer that we have. There in your sermon or in your bulletin, I have a, a verse from Isaiah 43. The Lord said, when you pass through the waters, when you have to swim in the flood of the culture around you, that is hostile to me, or hostile then therefore to you. When you have to pass through those waters, I will be with you. Isn't that good news that we have? Heavenly Father, we want to just close by realizing, as the song says, that some go through the waters, and some go through the floods, and some go through the fire, but all go through the blood. This is the, this is the journey that we have, but this is also the hope that we have, that you will guide us and rescue us and we can find safety, spiritually speaking, in, in the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to cling to that. We want to come into the ark and never leave. While the world does what it needs to or wants to, we are in Christ and those who are in Christ are a new creation. That is our hope today. We give you thanks for it in His holy name. Amen.